0: Praise Praise be to Christ. Hey, thanks, Christian. Appreciate that. Um, So how many of you got to see the eclipse this past week? Okay, a lot of hands go up. Hopefully you paid attention and you got your glasses so you're not seeing black blotches right now from staring at the sun. Um, I don't know about you, but uh, watching that phenomenon uh, was a reminder to me of how small I am and um, as I was watching sort of as that moment they call totality was approaching, uh, Psalm 8 started ringing in my, my sort of consciousness, and I thought I'd read that to you. Uh, seems appropriate after the week that we've just had, uh, and also with major storms and, and hurricanes going on in Texas even as we speak, as Russ mentioned earlier. Uh, David, King David, writes this in Psalm 8, When I consider the heavens the work of your fingers, Lord, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? And yet you've made him a little bit lower than the heavenly beings. Some translations say you've made him a little bit less than God. And you have crowned him with glory and honor. I love... um, Matthew West's uh, interpretation of this uh, in his song that talks about how God loves us more than the sun and the stars that He taught how to shine, and that we have a place in God's story of shining for Him too. aren't those great lyrics? So, last week we were in the section of Romans 8, that talks about how all of creation, the cosmos, the universe, everything that God created is in a state of of groaning. It's a pregnant universe waiting to give birth to the promise that everything will be made new, that everything will be restored, that, that, uh, you know, people, places, and things that right now wait everywhere on tiptoe for God to make broken things beautiful again sick things healthy and whole again. That's the condition that the whole universe is sitting in right now. And what we have in front of us is the follow-up text that takes uh, this discourse from the cosmic to the personal, from the transcendent and and enormous to to the intimate. What does all this have to do with our lives? Or, Or as David says, King David says, what is man? Lord, that you would be mindful of us when I consider the heavens and the stars and everything else. And so, if you ever doubt that God sees you, if you ever doubt that God cares for you, these verses are incredibly important to provide context for those thoughts. Uh, I'm going to give you three points. Uh, Number one, the mess that we are all in. Number two, the work that God is up to in the middle of the mess, and then finally, the final outcome that God will accomplish out of the mess. So, so let's start here. The mess that we are in, if if, uh, you heard it from verse 26, this is what you heard, that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, helps us in our weakness. There's an assumption that's made right there, and that is that the human condition, in a nutshell, can be summarized with one word, Weakness. Weakness. Weakness is a universal thing. It's not, an, uh, it, it's not an illusion. It's not a product of our imagination. And there is no person and there is no people group that has an ability to escape weakness. In 1973, this was about 44 years ago, uh, the world's top secular thinkers drafted a document sort of based on their optimism about human progress because this was at the dawn of the technological boom, so technology was, was starting to really, you know, the flywheel was starting to run, and, and, and technology was moving forward with rapid advancement. And they came up with this document called the Humanist Manifesto, and again, it was brimming with optimism about the potential of what human beings can do. Here's an excerpt from that. We have virtually conquered the planet, explored the moon, overcome the natural limits of travel and communication. We stand at the dawn of a new age. By using technology wisely, we can control our environment, conquer poverty, modify human behavior, alter the course of human evolution and cultural development, and provide humankind with an unparalleled opportunity for achieving an abundant and meaningful life. We have the power, we have the capacity, we have the intuition and genius to create a brave new world. That's what secular thinkers, top humanist scholars, 150 of them or so, signed off on. That was 44 years ago. How is it working out? How have we done? As the manifesto promised, have we been able to control the environment? The answer is no, as the hurricane around Houston and Galveston that is still going on and projected to continue for quite some time is happening now. There are still hurricanes, there are still floods, there are still tornadoes. How about poverty? It was promised that we would be able to resolve poverty. And it is still the case that over half of the world's population lives on less than $2.50 a day. Strike two. Has the promise been fulfilled that we've been able to modify human behavior? Just throw out a few thoughts. Race relations, cable news, politics. How's it working out for us? Have we been able, as the manifesto promised, to alter the course of human evolution? or is there still death and disease? Have we been able to produce for the mass of humanity an abundant and meaningful life? The more dependent we become on technological advance, the more anxiety and depression have increased, and the more clear it's become that we can't fix this. We are too weak, we are too frail to engineer any fix to the problems of the world in which we live. There is no medical advance, there's no financial strategy, there's no religious program, there's no philosophy, there's no political agenda that has the power to heal the world. You know, Aldous Huxley, who wrote "Brave New World," I think." Uh, Aldous Huxley, who was a premier secular humanist thinker with all sorts of optimism, you know, especially at the very beginning, about the potential that the human race has to change the world and to make it this utopian thing. Toward the end of his life, Huxley is quoted as saying these words: "Maybe this world is another planet's hell." And on his deathbed he he his vocal cords were not working he could not speak he was vocally impaired he scribbled a note to his wife uh, shortly before he died and the note said this 100 milligrams LSD So that's where the optimism about human progress and human might took one of the foremost humanist thinkers and he wasn't alone H.G. Wells had a very similar, you know, path where he began with optimism and ended in on the verge of despair. And the thing that Paul emphasizes here as well is that Christians are not immune. You know, connecting, being connected to Jesus Christ does not shield us, does not protect us from these things, and in many ways it enhances the suffering and groan and anti- climactic nature of life in the fallen world in which we live. You know, next week's text, uh, you know, we'll cover several more verses, one of which is verse 35 of Romans 8, which talks about tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, and the sword. You know, currently, even more so than back then, currently there is more religious persecution against... The people of Jesus, in particular, around the world. There's there's religious persecution against other religions as well, but specifically against Christians. There's more persecution globally now more than there has ever been. Christianity recently came out. Christianity Today recently came out with an article uh, uh, marking 2017 as the worst year ever for Christian. Persecution. Right now, estimates are that somewhere around 215 million believers in Jesus Christ around the world are under conditions of extreme oppression, violence, and, and threat, uh, over their, threats over their lives because they identify as followers of Jesus Christ. Just for perspective, 215 million is two-thirds of the U.S. population right now. It sort of puts our concerns about things like losing tax breaks because of our faith in perspective, doesn't it? There's persecution, and there is persecution. Paul is talking about persecution. Believers around the world, even today, persecution but even if we're sheltered, as we are in, in our nation that is rightly called the land of the, the free and the home of the brave, especially in relative terms to the rest of the world, even if we are sheltered relatively from this kind of religious violence, there's still no recipe, no strategy that's been discovered to enable us to escape death, the mortality rate. Still one person for every one person. And so it's no wonder that Jesus said to his followers, In this world, you're gonna have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. Trust in God, trust also in me. And then the Apostle Paul, in another letter that he wrote, it was one of his prison letters. Did you know that? That, that, that the Apostle Paul, who gave us about a third of the New Testament, wrote several of those letters from jail because the Roman Caesar, the Roman government, had, had thrown him in jail uh, for speaking out about Christianity and about his, his faith in Jesus Christ and the risen Savior. And he says in Philippians 1.29, and just, you know, again, remember the context he's writing from jail, from being unjustly incarcerated, and his life is threatened every single day, as you see later in Romans 8. And he says this, it has been granted to you as followers of Jesus. And the word granted comes from the Greek word charis, which is the word that translates grace, God's undeserved gift of grace throughout the rest of the New Testament. It has been graced to you. It has been granted to you. It has been charised to you. It is an act of charity from God to you. Not only to believe on Jesus Christ, but also to suffer for His sake. How incredibly curious. And in that same letter that Paul writes from jail, that that Bible readers for centuries have been referring to this letter as, as the epistle of joy, the letter of joy, Paul talks about how he's learned the secret of being content in all situations, both living in plenty because A lot of people discover as they accumulate more and more and more, it's hard to be content. And sometimes there's a disproportionate inverse relationship between the amount of wealth and goods and luxuries that we have and opportunities and networks that we have and actual joy and contentment. And so Paul says, I've learned the secret to be content when I'm on top of the world. Because when you're on top of the world, you don't know who you can trust because you don't know who wants to be with you because they want to use you for your networks, for your resources, um, you know, to be able to drop your name at parties and, and do, take selfies with you, um, or if they actually care about you as a human being, irrespective of your resources. But he also says, I've learned the secret also of, of being content when I've got nothing, when, when I'm living in complete want, when I'm sitting here in jail. I'm content. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul was not scoring a touchdown when he wrote those words. And then in verse 37, again, which we'll we'll look at next week, he talks about how we're more than conquerors. Through tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, we're more than conquerors. What's this about? That gets us to the second thought, and that is the work that God is up to in the middle of the mess. Romans 8.28, this is a verse that thou shalt not quote to your suffering friend because you don't know what else to say. This is a verse that is best entrusted to the Holy Spirit to speak to your suffering friend at just the right time. This is a verse to marinate on and meditate on and preach to one another when we're not suffering so that our hearts are ready when we are. You know, we don't want to preach in platitudes to people who are living their lives in the ditch of despair. And yet, it remains true that God works all things together for good for those who love Him and who are called according to His purpose. As John Newton, the the pastor who wrote Amazing Grace, the most famous Christian hymn ever written, once said, everything is necessary that God sends our way, and nothing can be necessary that God withholds. I think he could have based that statement, John Newton, on two words from this text in front of us in Romans 8, and those words are, we do not know, and we know. We do not know, and we know. What do we not know? It's in in verse 26. We do not know what to pray for as we ought. We don't know what's up, and so we don't even know what to ask for. And so the promise that comes to us in that is that the Holy Spirit of God intercedes with our spirit with groans that are too deep for words, with, with inarticulate groans, with ones that we don't quite understand but that our spirits can still latch on to as he, verse 27, searches our hearts. So, when you go into a doctor for a checkup, that's what the doctor does. The doctor searches for things. The doctor probes for things to to, to look for potential silent killers and invisible killers in your body that can steal life from you. Needles are used to, you know, prick the skin and draw blood in order to discover potential abnormalities and viruses and bacteria and, 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 and chemical imbalances and such in the blood. Invasive procedures are done. The doctor invites you to lay down on your side. The doctor takes images, that, 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 that take, takes pictures of, of what's beneath your skin called x-rays and MRIs. And the doctor will sometimes do exploratory surgery and actually cut you open and, and look inside, probing, 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 invasive procedures. And sometimes as the doctor is looking, you remember this maybe in a, in a checkup when you, he says open your mouth and say, ah, or, or she says, you know, you know I'm going to pull your ear and, and look in your ear, and, and, the, and the doctor every now and then will go, hmm, or hmm, the doctor's groaning, with groans, too inarticulate for words, groans that you don't understand, but the tone of them give you a sense that the doctor's onto to something. The doctor knows something that you don't. The reason why we go into doctors who are trained with wisdom to, to detect and attack and destroy things that will inhibit and threaten life is that they have a wisdom that we don't. It's like a, like a meteorologist. So, uh, I don't know how many of you knew and know Jake Speck. Jake was part of our community here at, at Christ Pres. former Broadway actor, came here to start Studio 10, a beautiful theater company here in Nashville with his good friend Matt Logan. And Jake has recently taken a position in Houston, Texas. Uh, with with a, a state-of-the-art theater company, great opportunity for leadership for Jake. Um, but I sent him a text message yesterday just saying, hey, how's it going down there, man? I, and the storms doesn't look good. From um, what I'm seeing in the news, and he he texted me and he said, I'm not in Houston anymore. We, we drove to Dallas because the meteor, meteorologists told us to, all to evacuate. And so we, we took our valuable things, put them on top of cinder blocks and uh, we're, we're in Dallas, Texas. Why would you leave your hometown when you've got a brand new job to do and all these responsibilities? Because the meteorologist said. The meteorologist has a big picture, right? They're able to see from, from the satellite view what's going on, what's about to happen, and, and they're able to diagnose things that we do not know. And they're able to project things that we do not know are going to happen. And We ignore them to our own peril. We don't know what God's up to, but what we do know is that He has the big picture and that He may be exiling us from our home or what have you because He works all things together for good. Because He works all things together for good. That's what we do know. It's a statement of faith that Paul is making here, We don't know many things. We don't know those things that the Spirit is probing in order to to eject out of our lives, in order to promote long-term health and life for us. But what we do know is that He knows. What we do know is that He knows, which means it is always the foolish thing to to draw conclusions about the nature and character of God based on our circumstances. It is always the wise thing to draw conclusions about our circumstances based on what we know about the character of God. And one thing that we do know about the character of God is He works everything together for good. And if we were able to see everything that He sees, if we were able to know everything that He knows, if we were you know, to have kind of the Doppler radar viewpoint, if we could see the x-rays and so on, we would have a much less difficult time getting behind his agenda. Even evil things, God has the power and the will and the certainty of turning them into good. One biblical example is, is uh, back in the book of Genesis where, where the young Joseph, the youngest of, of many sons, is... Uh, thrown into a ditch uh, by his own blood brothers, and then they say, wait a minute. We can also make a little bit of money off this. So, they didn't just throw him in a ditch to abandon him. They marketed him off as a slave to uh, an Egyptian who happened to work in Pharaoh's court, and then he went through all these atrocities. He's falsely accused of of trying to seduce a woman who actually was trying to seduce him, and she was married to a very powerful man, ends up in prison for a whole lot of years, and and, and, and blooms where he's planted and, 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 and says, you know, I'm going to, you know, follow God, you know, I'll follow him to the mountaintops, and I'll follow him all the way into the ground if, if that's what he calls me to do. And so he's faithful where he is, and he gets noticed in his faithfulness, and then he gets raised up and he advances and you know he you know he's you know talk about an entry level position entry level position prisoner and 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 he sort of moves his way up the ladder and becomes eventually the prime minister essentially of Egypt and and, and and sort of the chief of staff of the Egyptian pharaoh who runs everything most powerful nation in the world at the time and he's number 2 And some years later, when a famine is about to come, and uh, Jacob's… his brothers… not Jacob, uh, Joseph's brothers are compromised and under a threat of of famine and hunger, and they come to Joseph as the prime minister of Egypt not knowing that it's their brother, and then when they discover it, that this is our brother, that we sold into slavery, they're terrified, and they're, you know, he's going to kill us, and they start begging him to have mercy on them, and he says, wait, 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 look. What you intended for evil, he names it. He's not dysfunctional. He's not some codependent enabler. He says, yeah, you meant it for evil. God intended it for good, for the saving of many lives, including yours. Same story with Job. Job doesn't know what's going on when the terrorists attack him, He doesn't know what's going on in the cosmic world on the Doppler radar when his ten children die, when his body is afflicted from head to toe with sores. He doesn't know what's going on in the bigger story, in the macro story, when his wife starts cursing God and and essentially, you know, adopts Nietzschean philosophy, you know, the, the, the only logical conclusion to this is suicide, curse God and die, Job. And Job holds on to his, his integrity, worships God, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I will depart. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And all the while, behind the scenes, Job, at his, what seems like his weakest point, is actually serving as a mighty warrior for the armies of God and, 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 and deals the devil a death blow. You know, through the, the story of Job, God gives the devil some leash, but only enough with which to hang himself. Job doesn't know this, but he knows God is good. He doesn't know, and he knows. How about our self-loathing? How about our regrets? How about when we do stupid things and wonder, hey, can, can God, what am I really truly that God would think of me? Well, Peter could answer that question, right? The one who betrayed Jesus three times, and instead of shaming him, instead of whipping him or disowning him, Jesus comes back and reassures him and says, look, you're, you're three times forgiven for three times betraying me, and I have a job for you to do. And then Peter becomes the, the, one of the most bold human beings to ever live, one of the most mighty preachers of the gospel, and, 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 and it may be his previous cowardice and betrayal of Jesus that, that, that turned him in eventually to such a courageous, loyal follower of Christ. God working all things together for good, you know, the, the problem of evil, you know, this, 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 you know, sort of paradox of Christian truth that God is both in control of every square inch of His universe and infinitely loving, and yet those things being true still allows suffering, that is what you call a defeater belief in the, the hearts of many who don't believe. And the thinking is this, I can't imagine, I can't conceive of a God who is both in control of everything and good, who would allow these sorts of things. So, thanks but no thanks. But, but that, that statement, I can't imagine, or that thought, I can't imagine a God who, that assumes that you know more than you know. That assumes that, that your perspective is bigger than it is that, that, that assumes that you can see the macro when really all you 're able to see is the micro. So those of you who bake stuff, uh, you know you make, you make cupcakes, say you 're going to make cupcakes tonight for dessert, and you look at all the ingredients kind of separately there 's some oil. What if I drank that by itself it 's going to probably nauseate me if I ate that raw egg, it would probably nauseate me. If I took a wad of salt and threw it in my mouth by itself, it would taste really bitter. If I threw sugar in my mouth by itself, it would, it would be overbearingly sweet. Like all the micro-ingredients by themselves are, are potentially bitter, potentially nauseating, but when you put them together and you turn up the heat, out comes this amazing thing called a Cupcake. Most of us don't know quite how that works out, but we know that's how it works out because the cookbook and the oven work all things together for good for those who love cupcakes and are called according to cupcakes' purposes. You know, you see your physical therapist, you've got excruciating back pain, and she says, look, you you need to get your core in shape. This means you've got to do these three exercises. And, you know, one of them is the, the crunches, right? And, and, and your physical therapist says, just start with 10 stomach crunches a day, and you can only barely eke out six. And, and you feel like with each crunch, you're getting weaker and weaker and weaker, but what's really happening in the macro story is you're getting stronger. And then you find yourself in a month, I can do 10. I can, in fact, do 15. And then in three months, you can do 25. A year later, you can do 100 of them. And each time you go to the mat, you feel like you're making yourself weaker and weaker and weaker, but what you're really doing is you're getting stronger. There's some kind of mystery that's going on physiologically in your body that you can't see. That You don't know what you don't know, except you know that the long-term trajectory this is leading to is health and a back that feels better. You know, our problems come when we forget what we don't know, that God owns the mystery. God owns the mystery, and we forget what we do know, that if we knew everything He knows and if we saw everything that He sees, it would be easier for us to get on board even with the hard things, even with prison. Tim Keller says, anything bad that God allows, which He also hates, just like you do. Remember, Jesus got furious and and wept profusely at, at the tomb of His friend Lazarus. But Tim says, any bad thing that God allows... He allows it in order to cure you of the things that can really destroy you in the long run in the totality. There's that word again. Totality. Your long-term flourishing can get eclipsed when God doesn't come in with His purposes to work all things together for good, but that's precisely what He does in every case for every child of His. And what is the final outcome that God will accomplish. Verse 29, those whom He foreknew, the Greek word here is prognostico. We get the word prognosis that we use in, you know, sort of healthcare environments. That's like the outlook on on future health. Those whom He foreknew, He predestined. That's a Bible word. That's not a Presbyterian word. It's a Bible word. It's not a John Calvin word. It's a Bible word. And we'll cover it in a fall series, so we'll unpack it. But he predestined to be conformed into the image of Jesus. That's the end game. That's what's best for you. That's what's worth all this hard stuff, is you're going to be formed in the image of Jesus. You're going to be that cupcake in the end. With all those bitter ingredients, they're now sweet and melded together into something amazing, something delicious but do you recognize the past tense here? He's talking about a future event in the past tense. Those whom He predestined, He also called. Those He called, He justified. Those He justified, He also glorified. This is what um, Greek scholars call the aorist or prophetic past tense. Speaking of a future event with such certainty that you speak of it in the past tense as if it has already happened, because it has in the mind of God who lives outside of time. And what are we awaiting for? Verse 23, the redemption of our bodies. This is a nod to the reality that heaven will be very, very physical, intensely, immensely physical. It will be life as it is now minus sin and suffering and sorrow and death plus the unleashing of your full potential. Here's how the macro story of God makes its way into your long-term micro story as a child of God and the crown of His creation. The unleashing of your full potential spiritually, emotionally, relationally, and physically. The best picture, the best prediction that we have of what it's going to look like for each of us is right there in the text where it talks about Christ being the firstborn or the first fruits of many brothers and sisters. It's talking about His resurrection, what happened after Christ rose from the dead? Certain things were realities for Him that had not been before. He was walking through walls. He ascended into heaven. He flew like a bird. And you know, Isaiah says the same of us, that we will mount up with wings like eagles. We will walk and not grow weary. We will run and not lose strength. No eye has seen, no ear has heard the marvelous things that God has in store for those who love Him and fear Him. So, I was reading the other day in the Scientific American that the current uh, estimate of the average capacity of one single human brain is two and a half petabytes, which is one million gigabytes. So, if you take all of the syllabi from every Ivy League university, undergraduate and graduate schools… Throw in Vandermilt, Belmont, and Lipscomb for good measure. That will represent only a fraction of two and a half petabytes. Imagine all of that being unleashed. Imagine 100% of your subconscious becoming conscious, awakened to all of those mysteries, to your best dreams becoming real life, to your worst nightmares all becoming un true, add to this the infinite capacity to bear the fruit of the Spirit of love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And imagine work being uncursed. I've got a friend who died of a violent cancer at age 35. His name is Brian Maynor, a friend of mine from St. Louis, Missouri, when we were there pastoring a church. And as he was preparing to to die, I asked Brian one day, what do you look forward to most in the new heaven and the new earth? And he he was a writer. He said, no more writer's block. (laughs) Like, even the ordinary mundane stuff is going to be turned into glory, right, Russ? Writer's block. It's hard, man. Um, Nothing's going to be blocked. No more linebackers trying to knock you down. I'll close here. With an excerpt from C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. This, This is the truth for everybody whose life is hidden with Christ through faith. Lewis says, the command, be perfect as God is perfect, is not idealistic gas. God will make the feeblest and filthiest of us into a god or goddess, a dazzling, radiant, immortal creature pulsating all through With such energy and joy and wisdom and love as we cannot now imagine, a bright stainless mirror which reflects back to God perfectly, though of course on a smaller scale, His own boundless power and delight and goodness. The process will be long and in parts very painful, but that is what we are in for, nothing less He meant what He said. Discouraged? Meditate on that. Let's pray. When I consider the heavens and the work of your fingers and the moon and the stars which you have set in place, O God, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? And yet you have made him, you have made us, the he's and the she's who belong to Christ through faith. You've made us a little lower than the heavenly beings and you've crowned us with glory and honor. Lord, thank you for the picture you've given us in the resurrection of Jesus Christ that gives us a foretaste of what it means to be completely and fully crowned. Father, make that anticipation a power for us so that we too, like Paul, can learn the secret of having a whole lot and of having nothing. We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength, for whose sake and for whose glory we pray. Amen.